Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. I'll be preaching this morning in verses 18 through 29. So John chapter 5, verses 18 through 29. And please join me in Our gracious Heavenly Father, we ask now that as we come to Your Word, that You would feed us from Your Word. For we know that man does not live by every bread, not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Lord, we pray and ask this morning that You would feed us. Feed our souls, feed our, our hearts, that we may be satisfied in You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 5, verses 18 through 29. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father and making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. May God bless the reading of his holy word and let his church say, Amen. I wonder this morning, what are some of your favorite promises from God's Word? What are some of your favorite promises from God's Word? Maybe it's Isaiah 26.3. You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. That's a good promise, isn't it? Or maybe it's Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. What a wonderful promise from God's Word. Or maybe it's Philippians chapter 4, verses 6-7. through Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's the promise. Listen to this. 
And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's a good promise, isn't it? I love that wonderful hymn, How Firm a Foundation. We sing it here at New Covenant. It describes the trustworthiness of God's promises as contained in the Word. The first verse, it reads, How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can He say than to you He has said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. All of God's promises are contained for us in His Word and He has given them to us. And in the subsequent verses of that hymn, it even begins to describe the kinds of trials that as Christians we go through. Listen to the beginning of the next three verses. When through deep water I call you to go. God's promises. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie. God's promises. Even down to, and I look around this room and some of you need to hear this, even down to old age. Some of you resent or resemble that remark. You need that promise too, that God is with you. Making a promise is one thing, isn't it? But being able to deliver on that promise is something else. Here, in John chapter 5, we read about Jesus' authority to deliver on His promises. And we read about a promise too, and i summarize that promise as this, that if you're called from death to life, you will have life after death. There's the promise presented for us here in John chapter 5. This is God's promise to you this morning, Christian. That if you're called from death to life, you will have life after death. And this is God's promise to you, and we will see that Jesus has absolute authority to make this promise to you, as well as all the other promises contained in His Word. Why does Jesus have the authority to promise us that if we're called from death to life, we'll have life after death? Here's what I want you to see. Absolute clear in this passage of Scripture that Jesus can promise this to us because Jesus is equal with God. Jesus is equal with God. You saw that there in verse 18 when we read that, didn't you? We'll remind you of the context that Jesus has healed a, a man, a a paralytic, he's healed him at the pool of Bethesda and he's healed him on the Sabbath day and he told this man to rise, take up his mat and walk. He, he healed him. And the Jewish leaders found the man and they began to interrogate him. You know, it's not lawful for you to carry your bed on the Sabbath day. Well, some guy who healed me told me to carry my bed on the Sabbath day. Who was that? We want to know who that is so we can go and interrogate him too. John 5, as we learned last week, tells us that they began to persecute Jesus because of the things that he was doing and saying. In verse 18, this persecution reaches a climax for they were seeking all the more. Do you see that there in verse 18? This reference to the Jews 
This is a reference to the Jewish leaders. They were seeking all or more not just to persecute him, but to kill Jesus. You see that there in verse 18. Why? Well, breaking the Sabbath is one thing, but calling yourself God is something altogether different. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was calling God His own Father. Identifying that He has an absolute unique relationship. That He is the second person of the Trinity. He's the Son of God. And that He is in a unique relationship with God His Father. For He is the only begotten of the Father. God is His Father. And this as well made Jesus, do you see that there in verse 18, equal with God. In systematic theology, we make this distinction when we speak about the Trinity. This is the boring part of the sermon, okay? Between the ontology in the Trinity and the the economy in the Trinity. The ontology refers to personhood. That the three persons of the Trinity are equal. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There is one God in three persons, and they are the same in substance, equal in glory and power. The confessional language that we have all throughout the confession, there are many places we could go to. Chapter 23 of the confession says, in the unity of the Godhead, unity of the Godhead, there be three persons of one substance power, and eternity. So what Jesus is saying here is He's saying, I am God. I am the second person of the Trinity and I am equal with God because I'm God. I'm the second person of the Trinity. There is an equality in personhood. That's what we talk about when we use the word ontology. That that the, the, the three persons of the Godhead are equal. But there's also an economy in the Trinity as well, isn't there? How does Jesus refer to God? Well, we see it referenced here in verse 18. What does He call God? He calls God His what? His Father. With the indication then that if God is His Father, who is Jesus? He is the Son. That Jesus is equal with God and yet at the same time, and trust me, this is a great mystery and I don't understand to understand this fully, but we have the Scripture and the confessional language that helps us so much to wrap our minds around this, that the Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, and the Holy Ghost eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. So whatever it is, the substance that the Father is of, the Son is of too. That's what we mean by substance. But He's distinct in His function from the Father. You say, okay, listen, preacher, all this highfalutin language this morning, so what? What difference does all that make for me? What I'm trying to drive home here for you is that our salvation is Trinitarian. That's what Jesus is saying here in verse 18. Our salvation is Trinitarian. For the Father has chosen to redeem us from eternity past. That is His function. That is His economy in the Trinity. He chooses a people and gives them to 
the Son, and the Spirit agrees that He will apply redemption to those chosen by the Father. And the Son, He has chosen to redeem those whom the Father has chosen. Again, the confessional language is so helpful when it speaks about Christ being our mediator. It says that unto Jesus, God did from all eternity give a people. So if you, if you are here this morning and you are in Christ, you are one whom the Father has chosen to give to the Son. You are the inheritance from the Father to the Son. And He has redeemed you. God did from all eternity. So when did God do this? In eternity past. He has chosen us in Christ to be His seed and to be by Him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. So this is in eternity past that God the Father declares this, but it is in the present in time when this redemption is applied to us. The confession will go on a little later and say that Jesus did this not begrudgingly, but gave Himself willingly for His people. Jesus did not assume this role unto Himself as the Son. Instead, He was called by His Father who put all power and judgment into His hand and gave Him commandment to execute the same. Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the Son of God. He is equal with God. And it is from that basis that Jesus has the absolute authority to command what we're going to see here in the rest of this passage. What is it that Jesus has the authority to command being equal with God? Well, there are two commands that Jesus can give because He is equal with God. Here are the two commands. First, Jesus has authority to call sinners from spiritual death to eternal life. That's what Jesus is saying here. Because He is equal with God, because He is the Son, because He has been given a people, because He has given Himself to redeem a people, Jesus has the authority as God and as the Redeemer to call sinners from spiritual death to eternal life. And if you are in Christ this morning, that is you. You have heard the call of Jesus upon your heart, bringing you from spiritual death to eternal life. Jesus describes this here, the mission that He has been given from the Father, and it's indistinguishable. His mission and the mission from the Father and the work of Jesus and the work of the Father, they are virtually indistinguishable from each other. We see this here in verse 19. The Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. So this work that Jesus is doing to call dead sinners to eternal life, this is the work that He sees the Father doing. And there are four, four statements here in this passage that Jesus gives. Four because statements. I wonder if you see that there. In verse 19, we see the first one. Alright, so... Jesus, He's equal with God. He can do nothing of His only accord. He only does what His Father is doing. Because or for whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. 
He's so connected in his fellowship with the Father. There's such intimacy between God the Son and God the Father that everything the Father is doing, the Son does likewise. Their mission and work are inseparable from one another. Here's the second because statement. Look at that there in verse 20. This explains the reason why this is so. For the Father, what does He do? He loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. There is an eternal love between God the Father and God the Son. And because there is eternal love between them, the Father shows Him all things. He shows Him all that He is doing. And even... Greater works than these will He show Him. For what purpose? So that you may marvel. And that is what the work of Jesus is intended to do. It is intended for us to to look upon, to gaze upon the work of Jesus and the plan of salvation and His work of redemption and to glorify and marvel at the eternal majesty and glory of God. That's what Jesus is saying here. Look at the third because statement. It's in verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. Only God can give life to those who are dead. And Jesus is saying that just as God the Father can give life to those who are dead, so the Son can give life to those who are dead too. There is singularity in work. Lastly, the fourth four statement here, for the Father judges none, but has given all judgment to the Son. There's the economy. Right here is something unique about the Son. Not only is He the Redeemer, but He is also what? We read this in our confession of faith, didn't we? It has been entrusted to Jesus to do what? To be the judge of all humanity. So the Father has given this to him for what purpose that all may honor the son just as they honor the father whoever does not honor the son doesn't honor the father who sent him and here's where the rubber really meets the road in verse 24 jesus is described as the eternal word of god he is the logos of god he is eternal he is the one who spoke the world into existence, who upholds the universe by the word of His power. And it is that same commanding voice that commands dead hearts to live. That's what Jesus is saying here in verse 24. Whoever hears My word. Think about that. The word of God goes forth and commands the universe to form. The Word of God goes forth and commands the trees to pop up from the ground. It commands the mountains to rise up. It commands the seas to separate. It commands the stars into their place. It commands the planets into their alignment and orbit around the sun. That same Word is the Word of God that speaks and tells our hearts to come from death to life. See that there in verse 24? Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. When Jesus calls us by the Spirit, we can't do anything but come to new life. If the mountains obey him and the seas obey him, don't you think 
He can overcome your rebel, sinful heart and mind when He calls us to live. Interesting thing about this eternal life, this is eternal life that we have when? Is it eternal life in the present? Off in some distant future waiting for us? Something that we are waiting to enjoy? Well, yeah, that's true. There is eternal life waiting for us that we are waiting to enjoy, but this is something that we have when? Now. Did you notice that Jesus says that? That whoever hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed. Already has passed from death to life. And here we think of the lame man in chapter 5. We think of the blind man in chapter 9. And we think of Lazarus in chapter 11. And they are all pictures for us of our spiritual condition. For apart from Christ, we are spiritually blind. We are spiritually lame. And like Lazarus was, we are spiritually dead. And Jesus, just as He commanded the lame man to walk, the blind man to see, and just as He commanded Lazarus to come out of that grave, so He does our own hearts. Removes the scales from our eyes. Makes us able to walk and gives us new life making us willing and able to believe and obey. This is a blessing that we enjoy here and now. This is the benefit that we have of being redeemed redeemed and being in Christ. You might wonder, what are the benefits that Christians enjoy presently for being saved? Sure, Catechism, question 32, answers that question that If we're effectually called in this life, we partake of justification, adoption, and sanctification. Those are benefits that we enjoy as Christians now. It's not just something waiting out there in the future for us, but here, right now, in this present evil age, even while we're waiting for Christ to return, we enjoy the blessing of the assurance of knowing that we are declared righteous before God. We enjoy the blessing of knowing that we have been adopted into His family. We enjoy the blessing of God's work of grace, sanctifying our hearts, making us more like Christ. Catechism goes on to even explain this further, that not only is justification, adoption, and sanctification a benefit, but there are other benefits that flow out of those three. Assurance of God's love. Peace of conscience. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Increase of grace. And perseverance therein to the end. These are all blessings. These are all benefits that we enjoy of eternal life here and now. What's missing from this list? Effectual calling. Check. Justification. Check. Adoption. Check. Sanctification. Check. What's missing? You got it. Glorification. That is a benefit that is waiting for us, isn't it? Jesus is equal with God, and because He's equal with God, He has the authority to command us from spiritual death to eternal life, but He also has the authority to Call Christians from physical death to eternal life. 
So not only is there a calling from spiritual death to eternal life, but this passage also teaches that Jesus also calls us from physical death to eternal life. You see this here in verse 25. Jesus says the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So here he's, he's making this transition between spiritual eternal life in the present evil age and spiritual eternal life in the age to come in glory. How can Jesus do that? Well, just as the Father has life in Himself, so the Son has life in Himself. It's been granted to Him. And all authority has been given to Him to execute this judgment. Why? Because He's the Son of God. This is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, where the Ancient of Days is seated on His throne and He is ruling and reigning over all the wicked kings of the earth and their approaches before the Ancient of Days who is sitting upon His throne, one like the Son of Man, and two, the Son of Man was given a people and a kingdom whose whose rule and reign shall know no end. It shall last for all eternity. And Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm the Son of Man. I rule and reign over all the kingdoms of the earth. And I have the authority to execute judgment over all of them, is what Jesus is saying. Do not marvel at this. Look at verse 28. Consider this. Jesus says, don't marvel at this, for an hour is coming. Now notice he doesn't say, and is now here. So here Jesus is not speaking of the present, he's speaking of a future time. An hour is coming, Jesus says, when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Again, I keep thinking about Lazarus in John chapter 11 and I love those old preachers and they preach John 11 with such gusto and I can't wait to get there. The Gospel of John. I'm going to try and do it justice too. And those old preachers, they get all fired up and they say, you know why Jesus said Lazarus come forth? Because if He didn't use Lazarus' name, all the graves would open up and all the dead would come out. You know what? I believe that. I do. I believe that. For Jesus is speaking about a day here when all the dead will hear His powerful voice. The same voice that created all the universe will speak one day and command all those who are in the grave to come out of that grave. Everyone will be resurrected. Some will be resurrected to life and some will be resurrected to judgment. How can we have assurance that if we've been called from death to life, we'll have life after death? Let me just encourage you that this assurance need not be perfect in this life. In fact, I doubt it will. You may wrestle long and hard for an assurance of salvation. You may go through different times of trials and hardships in your life when because of God and His providence sends you through a trial or maybe because of your sin or maybe because of neglecting your faith or whatever it may be. You may go through a period and time of your life and you doubt and struggle with this assurance of salvation. You worry and doubt that you are truly in Christ. How can we have this assurance? First, 
You and I need to know that this assurance of salvation is founded upon divine truth of the promises of salvation found in God's Word. Brothers and sisters, either this is the eternal Word, infallible Word of God, and we can trust every promise, or it's not. And we can't trust a single one of them. How can you have assurance of your salvation? God's Word tells you so. And He gives you reminders time and time again when you hear the hymns sing of God's eternal promises to you. When you hear the Word of God preached and God's promises are declared to you. When you receive the sacrament of communion and baptism and the sign of God's promises are represented to you time and time again. How we need those reminders over and over and over. Secondly, not only do we look to God's Word, but we look for the inward evidence of grace at work in our lives. Do we have love for God? Do we exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? Do we have love for our neighbor? Do we have a desire to gather with God's people? Do we feel sorrow for our sin? Are we quick to run to the Lord to seek repentance and forgiveness when we transgress His law? Do we delight and love His law? We look for the inward evidence of grace in our hearts. And lastly, there is the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit who witnesses to us that we are children of God. You say, what in the world does that mean? It means that for those of us who are in Christ, there is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is at work in us, affirming within us the promises of God and telling us in our hearts through the Word that we are in Christ, that we have been adopted. The Scripture calls this an earnest for us. It's like a it's like a down payment. It's like a, a surety of salvation that God gives to us. Gives us the confidence to know that if we've been called from death to life, we can trust that we will have life after death. Do you have that assurance this morning? You have that confidence of knowing that God's promises, they're not just made general out there, but they're for you, dear Christian. A few years ago, previous church I pastored, I was preaching and teaching in that Pentecostal church the Reformed doctrines of grace. And I was preaching about the Reformed view of justification by faith, through grace, not of our works. God chooses us. We don't choose Him. God is gracious to save us when we're dead in our trespasses and our sins. And this is a grace that we cannot earn. And this is a grace we cannot lose. I'll never forget Miss Dale coming to me one day after church. Big tears in her eyes. She said, I've grown up in church all my life. And I never knew with assurance that God's promises were for me personally. And I'm so thankful that today, 
for the first time, I have that assurance. Dear Christian, if you're called from death to life, you'll have life after death. Jesus is equal with God and He has the authority to give us that promise. He has the authority to command us to come from spiritual death to eternal life and to command us even after we die to come from physical death to eternal life. And I pray this morning that you have either A, been reminded of that great promise, or B, are hearing that great promise for the first time and looking unto Christ for your salvation. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for the promises from Your Word. Press them deep upon our hearts. We are weak. We are feeble. We are afflicted by so many trials and hardships. Give us the assurance of eternal life. Pray this morning that You will do the work that You do by the power of Your Spirit and make dead hearts live. Save those whom You have chosen in Your Son. May there be those who this morning, maybe even for the first time, hearing the Gospel, look unto Christ in faith and are saved. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.